So, Father, we thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're going to do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Everything, everything God gives you starts with a seed. Everything. Nothing, uh, nothing on this earth is here without a seed. I want you to think about that for a moment. As, as a matter of fact, the chair that you're sitting in started as a seed. It was a thought, it was a concept, it was an idea in someone's mind, transferred that to paper, given to a, manufa a manufacturer, then was produced, and then it was sold to the public. But it all started in someone's mind. It all started as a seed thought. I don't care what it is, if it's on this earth, it's the result of a seed that includes you and that includes me as well. As a matter of fact, the Bible lets us know that Jesus himself came to this earth in seed form. Genesis 3.15 says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, letting us know that Jesus would come to this earth just like every single one of us by seed form, obviously, miraculously, by the Holy Spirit. And so even entire nations are the result of one seed. God told Abraham, he said that through his seed that he would become or give birth to a great nation. Isaac, Isaac is called the seed of Abraham. And so he was the one who produced the promise of God that God spoke to Abraham about. So every promise that God gives to you, every promise that God speaks to us is given to us in seed form. It begins with a seed. So every dream that comes from God comes to us in seed form. Now the dream that I'm referring to today is your purpose I'm talking about your destiny. I'm talking about promises that God has given you. I'm talking about a desired future that you're believing God for. It all starts in the form of a seed. And so that thing that God spoke to your heart, whether it was last week or whether it was 20 years ago, it began and begins as a seed. It's that image that you've etched in your mind. It's that mental picture that you carry with you that says, this is where I will be someday. How many of you see yourself somewhere else someday? I, you should if you don't, right? That's, that's moving in the plans and the purpose and the promises of God. I can see myself here. I can see myself doing this. Before I ever got here, I saw myself here. Hello? <laughs> yeah, before you ever are going to get to where God has for you to get to, you're going to see yourself there in your spirit. So I see myself here. I can see myself doing this. And maybe, maybe it's something that you've never, ever told anyone because you're afraid that people would think you're crazy, that people might think you're conceited. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because when you start sharing your God-sized dream with people, not everyone's going to be able to handle the dream that God has given you and what God has spoken to your life about. Isn't that what happened with Joseph? I mean, when God gave Joseph that dream, and Joseph began to share that dream with his brothers, and they were already jealous, they were already envious of Joseph, and it only added fuel to the fire. 
And they, they responded, and they told Joseph, you know what? Who do you think you are? We're not going to bow to you. You're not going to lord over us. You're not going to be uh, rule over us. And so a lot of times we're reluctant or we're hesitant to share our dreams with other people because we feel like we're going to be ridiculed or we're going to be rejected. Well, here's one of the things you need to understand about the dream that God has given you. When God deposits a dream in your spirit, that's where it starts. When God speaks to your spirit, that's exactly what's happening. God is speaking to your spirit. He's not speaking to your mind. He's not speaking to your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotion. God is speaking to your spirit. Why? Because God is a spirit. We know God by our spirit, right? That's our relationship. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so a lot of times when you start sharing what God has put in your spirit, this is where I see God taking me. This is what I'm believing God for in my life. A lot of times when you start sharing that with other people, they're not receiving it in their spirit. They're receiving it in their soul. In other words, they're processing that through their mind, they're, they're, they're trying to reason out what you're sharing with them. So that's why a lot of times when you share something with them that you're really, really excited about, and then they give you that deer and headlights look back at you. It's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What do you mean you're going to do this? What do you mean that's going to, you believe this is going to happen in your life? Well, you have to understand immediately they're trying to reason. They're trying to figure out how all of this is going to happen. Remember Mary, remember when the angel came to Mary and said that she was going to conceive and she was going to give birth and she was going to give birth to the son of God. And Mary said, how can this be? I do. I don't know a man. In other words, I've not been intimate with anybody and I know how this works. He was speaking to her spirit. He was letting her know what's getting ready to happen to you. Mary is supernatural. And so if it is of God, it is supernatural. And what's getting ready to happen to you cannot be explained to the natural mind. It has to be explained and conceived and caught in the spirit. And if you can find somebody who will say, yes, I believe, and yes, I agree, and yes, I can see you doing that, then that's the person that you want to yoke up with, and that's the person that you want to walk with in order for this dream to come to fruition in your life. Amen? That's what has to happen. So not everybody's going to get it, right? Not everybody's going to understand it, and they're not supposed to. There are people that will be jealous when you tell them what you're believing God for. Believe it or not, even in church. Do you realize that there were people who, who did not want this to happen? I'm talking about Christians who were against this. I, I, I don't know why, but they were. And so not everybody's going to be happy. Not everyone's going to rejoice. Not everyone's going to celebrate when you start sharing your dream. But how many of you know you don't need everyone? You just need someone. I said you don't need. Quit trying to get the crowd to buy in before you start believing. Sometimes the majority's wrong. All right, I'll move on. All right? Sometimes the majority's wrong. And so many times we're reluctant, but we have to understand something about the dream that God gives us. The dream that God gives you is always bigger than you. It's always beyond you. That's why some people never do anything with the dream because they start thinking about this and they start looking at this and they think, man, this is too big for me. 
Listen, you want big dreams. You want to believe God for big things. Why? Because then you will be dependent upon God. In other words, if you don't need God to do it, then it's not from God. But if, it doesn't, if it's not going to get done unless God gets involved with it, then that's from God. And those are the kind of dreams that we, will, we want to have. Now, the dream will only become a reality through the power of community. In other words, God is not going to give you a dream just for yourself. It doesn't work that way. Your dream will become a reality when you can yoke yourself with a dream team. It's too big for you alone. It will require God if the dream is going to become a reality. How many of you know the dream that God gave Joseph was not just about giving Joseph a position of influence, a position of power and authority? That's what his brothers thought. His brothers thought that's what this dream was about. But the dream that God gave Joseph was not about those things. The great dream that God gave Joseph was about preserving the seed that he spoke about to Abraham. It was about fulfilling the prophecy that he had for a nation. It was about feeding nations. And what we have to understand at LifePoint Church is this. The dream is not just about us. It's beyond us. The dream is bigger than us. It's beyond what's happening right here, right now. The, the, the dream that God has for us includes many more people that are not even here today, but they're in our future. I said they're in our future because they all are part of the dream that God has for us. And so as a church, it's not just our job to say, look at us, look what God is doing with us, look what God is doing through us. Our job as a church is to feed hungry people. Joseph was set up to the place where he was able to feed starving people. People that were starving to death because there was a famine in the land. Well, today there's a famine in America. And it's not of natural food, but it's of spiritual food. And so God is raising up churches like LifePoint Church who will be positioned in a community who will have influence, who will have the power of the Holy Spirit, who will be able to do exceedingly great things through God who strengthens us. But God is raising us up so that we can feed hungry people. It's all about letting people know that Jesus still saves, that Jesus still heals, that Jesus still delivers. Come on, somebody. That Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the way, and God is raising us up as a model to feed hungry people, right? To feed hungry people. God's also raising us up as a model, and not just us, but there are many places that God is raising up as a model of mercy and as a model of forgiveness. Remember when Joseph's brothers came to him? You know, Joseph could have took revenge upon them. He could have acted out upon them. But what did Joseph do? He extended grace to them. He extended mercy to them. He extended forgiveness to them. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to extend grace to people, to extend mercy to people, and to forgive those people who have wronged us, right? Thank God he forgave us to extend that forgiveness to people who need to be forgiven so that we can be everything that God has called us to be. That that's the dream that God has for us. And so any dream that is of God will outlive you. It is beyond you. Any dream of your own will die when you die. Now, the Lord willing, 
and God tarry. Whenever he's done with me in this moment, at this place and at this position, how many of you know life point's going to go on? I hope somebody would say amen to that. <laughs> right? It's someone else is going to take the baton. There will be leaders that God, is, that God is forming and shaping who will take this to the next level and the next place. And I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. I don't plan on that. Amen? But that's, that's the order. The dream is always bigger than you. It's beyond you. It's beyond us. And so if you'll stick with the dream, if you'll believe God for it, and if you'll stick with it long enough, it will become a tree that produces fruit for many generations. Not just for one, but for many generations. So how then, how then do we get this dream to begin to materialize? How do we get, into, uh, get this dream to begin to manifest in our lives? Well, I've learned a couple of things over the years about the dream of God and the purpose of God, the call of God. And one of the things that I've learned about the dream that God puts in our hearts is this. You have to be willing to start small. You have to be willing to start where you are. And a lot of times what we do is we want to wait until we have all of the resources, until we have it all put together, and then we'll start. How many of you know you're going to be waiting until Jesus comes if that's your plan? Because you're not going to have all the resources at one time. It's not all going to come together in the beginning. There are phases to the dream. And so what we have to understand is you have to be willing to start small and to start with what you have. Because when you ask God for a mighty oak, in other words, when you ask God for big things, guess what he gives you? He gives you an acorn. That's what he gives you, because acorns don't look like oaks, but every oak comes from an, from an acorn. Every oak, or oak comes hidden in an acorn. Yokes too, I guess. Right? So in other words, you're believing God for big things, and God says, well, I am too, but it's going to start in a small thing. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? It always starts with a small thing, right? It's where it starts. So what are acorns? Acorns are ideas that occur to us. Gina and Mark are here today, and Gina was sharing with me a couple of weeks ago. She said when her and Mark were in California, she said, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. She said, I had two outfits to my name, all right? And she said, God just gave Mark an idea about something. And they ran with that. And God took that idea and God blessed it. And God prospered it. So just think about that for a minute. Acorns could be an idea that God has given you. It starts small. Be willing to start small. Acorns are friendships that you have right now. Acorns are opportunities that look like hard work. How many of you know it's going to take a little bit of work? It's not just hocus pocus and just wave this wand over this thing and it happens. It takes work. Acorns are accidental meetings with destiny helpers, and we don't believe in accidents in the kingdom of God. We don't believe in happenstance in the kingdom of God. We believe that our steps are ordered of the Lord. And so we have to be willing to start small. I want you to look at this picture with me. It's one of the first services at LifePoint Church. So you recognize some of these folks in this picture? There's Jake and Barb and 
Um, there's Beth and Jim Collins and Danielle, and I think that's Becky Sands with her back to us. That's our kitchen. How many? That's one of the first services at LifePoint Church. I think we have a few more pictures if you can help me out here. Heather, let's take a look. There's a couple more. There's Doug. Yeah, we established one thing at LifePoint Church early. We like to eat cake. You can see some cake being ate there. That's our living room. That's where church started. It all starts small. It starts with an idea. It starts with a concept. It starts with God putting a seed in your heart. There's a couple more pictures here. This is our first office space that had to be renovated. You walked in there and you're like, nobody wants to be here. All right, take a look at it. That was over uh, the, the MAC, the Ministry Activity Center. Keep going. You have to be willing to start small. You have to be willing to start with what's in front of you. You have to be willing to take something that nobody else wants and say, I can, I'll use it. I'll start there. Listen to what Zechariah 4.10 says. It says this, do not despise this small beginning. For the eyes of the Lord rejoice to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And so a lot of times what happens, church, is this. We get discouraged because the beginning seems so small. But notice that God's not discouraged by our small beginnings. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that God rejoices to see us begin to work. God rejoices in our small beginnings. God's not discouraged. God is encouraged. He's encouraged to the fact that we started something. How many of you know that's half the battle? Just start something. Just start doing something. Start. Just, just begin to do something that God has deposited into your spirit. And God, God says, I rejoice over that. And part of the reason that God rejoices over small beginnings is because when God begins to breathe on your promise, and when God begins to breathe on your dream, and it begins to grow, and it begins to blossom, and you begin to see yourself doing what God has called you to do, and you begin to see the blessing of the Lord manifesting in your life, you remember your beginning. You remember the living room. You remember the room that nobody else wanted. You remember those things. And what happens is this, you look at where you were and where you are, and you begin to say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, it never would have happened. I never could have done this without the Lord. Why? Because God gets the glory. We don't get the glory, but God gets the glory. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded. And a lot of times I think that's why we start small, that we can go back and remember. Remember when we only had one client. Remember when you were in that small place on the other side of the tracks that nobody else wanted. Remember when a good month was when you had five sales. And as that dream begins to grow and God's hand begins to move upon it, all the glory goes to him. The other thing that you can't have happen to your life is when you're beginning this dream journey with God is you have to avoid falling into the comparison trap. You cannot look at someone's finished product and your starting point. If you look at someone's finished product and where you are right now, you will get discouraged. And so you have to stay focused on where you are now because this is what was happening in Zechariah. God was asking them to rebuild the temple, the temple that Solomon had built years prior. And there were some older Jews there who were there when the temple of Solomon was still there before the Babylonians came and destroyed it. And when they started to remember 
When they started to remember Solomon's temple and the beginning of the building of the new temple, they were discouraged. They were disheartened. And so what has to happen here is this. You cannot compare what's going on in your heart with what someone else is doing. You cannot compare your beginning with someone else's final product. You have to stay focused on where God has you right now and know that God is not asking you to compare what someone else has done. Because if you'll stay true to God and if you'll humble yourself under God's mighty hand, your dream will become as big as their dream. Come on, somebody. Your dream will become as big as their dream. I remember sitting across the hall. There's a little teacher's lounge across the hall. And I was sitting over there, and we were getting ready for service. And at that time, we had about 40 people who were attending LifePoint Church. In case you're wondering, there's about 450 people who on a regular basis attend LifePoint Church now. Started from a living room with about 10, 12 people. And so I was sitting across the hall, getting ready to come here and preach. And I, the spirit of discouragement just came on me. It was almost like a blanket. It just came upon me. And um, I was sitting there and I started feeling sorry for myself. Now, anybody ever get to that place in your life? Just start feeling sorry for yourself a couple times. Yeah. Right. And, and what happened was um, I started to remember where I was and where I was at. And I remember, you know, I remember that, that we were in a $7.5 million facility, $7.5 million building, 1,500-seat auditorium sanctuary. And here I am starting all over from scratch, starting all over. And, and I started comparing the present with the past. And discouragement just started gripping, getting a hold of me. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is silly. This is crazy. This is stupid. I'm going to come out here, and I'm just going to let people know that, you know, that we shouldn't do this. I'm going to quit. We need to be done with this, and let's move on. That was my plan coming out. I, wouldn't, I hadn't told anybody, but that was my plan coming out. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord rebuked me. And the Spirit of the Lord basically said, who do you think you are? Do you think you're too good for 40 people? Because I can reduce the number if you want. <laughs> uh, how many of you know God will give you a good whipping every now and then? And then he said, do you not take into consideration that they have spent their energy to be here, their time, they've given you their time to be here, their gifts and talents are being used here, they're, they're sowing their treasure here, and you don't think that it's good enough for you to come out here? I mean, even though after I repented, I came out here and said, okay, Lord. And I've never looked back from that moment. I said, this is where we're starting. This is what you have for us. But I know this is not the end. Do not fall into the comparison trap. That's a trick of the enemy. That's a trick of the enemy, which leads me to number two. You have to see the finish line from the starting line. You have to see the finish line from the starting line. Okay, I'm willing to start small. I'm not going to despise the small beginning, but I'm going to dream really big. Is that okay? Okay, thank you. I wasn't going to go on until I got an okay. I'm willing to start small, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to dream really big. Because if you don't dream big, you're going to get in God's way. He's a big God, right? 
He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to his power that's working within us. And so you have to be willing to start small, but you have to be willing to dream really big. And in order to dream really big in the small phase of your life, you have to look through the eyes of faith. Everyone say faith. So I have to see what's attached to my seed because you have to understand something. Attached to every seed is a harvest. I don't care what that seed is. Attached to every seed is a harvest. So whenever I plant a seed, there's a harvest attached to it. So it may be small now, acorn, but attached to that is a mighty oak. And over time, it will come to pass. So every seed, every dream has the potential to produce a harvest. And so I need now then to begin to focus my faith on what God has promised. Yeah, I need to live in today, but I also need to focus my faith on what God has promised. God did this with Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to cause you to be a great nation. Well, there were two problems with that promise. Number one, Abraham and Sarah could not, were unable to have children. Number two, Abraham is now 99 years old and Sarah is 90. How many of you know that's not the time to start a family? Right? I mean, it's a little bit late. But God says, I'm going to birth a great nation through you. And God told Abraham that in Genesis chapter 12. And then years went by. And then he went to Genesis chapter 15. And this is what God did for Abraham. God did this. God brought Abraham outside beneath the night sky and told him to look up. How many of you know that's half the battle? If you can just keep your head up. If you can just keep yourself encouraged. And sometimes you're going to have to encourage yourself. Sometimes you're going to have to say, self, get up. Sometimes you're going to have to say, self, keep doing what you're doing. Sometimes you're going to have to coach yourself. Come on, somebody. You're going to have to let yourself know, even though it doesn't look like it, I'm going to keep myself encouraged. I'm going to keep looking up. He said, look up, get your head up, look into the heavens and count the stars if you can. And your descendants will be like that. Too many to count. Now, hold on a minute, because right now, there's not one. He has no children. He's 99 years old, and yet God is saying, there's going to be a great nation. I'm telling you, there's power in your seed. There's potential in your seed. And if God is in it, no matter how small it looks, it has the potential to become something great. As a matter of fact, every seed dream from God will become great if you'll just believe God. And so sometimes God has to take us out of our environment because our environment is too small. I feel like preaching right now because our environment is too small. God brought Abraham out of his tent. And sometimes God will bring us out of surroundings that we are familiar with and put us in an area to show us where he's taking us. And God brought him out of what he was comfortable with and said, Abraham, look up because this is what it's going to be like in your future. I'm looking at your future and it's bright right now. I'm looking into your future, and I can see stars in your future. God's promises will come to pass. And what was happening right here, right now, God was giving Abraham an image, a picture of what his future would look like. He was giving him a vision of what his future would look like. 
irrespective of his temporary circumstance. God was saying, I don't care what it looks like, Abraham. This is what I promised, and this is what will be. And so you cannot allow your circumstances, which are temporary, to hinder your vision and to keep your dream from becoming a reality. And so God wanted Abraham to focus his faith. And so God painted him a picture of what the nation would look like. He said it would be like the stars. He said there's going to be so many, you're not going to be able to count them. And guess what? Every day, Abraham stepped outside of his tent. And when he walked in night seasons of his life, and we all walk through those seasons when we're discouraged and we're despaired and we're wondering if it's ever going to come to pass, every time Abraham got to that place in his life, all he needed to do was look up and when he looked up he saw the stars and when he saw the stars he saw the promise and I'm telling somebody all you need to do is hold on to the promise because it will come to pass this is why you and I this is why we have to have a picture, whether that picture is etched in your mind, whether you have it on your computer, whether you have it in a frame, you have to have a picture of your finish line, every one of us. How many of you know God painted a picture of our finish line with our faith here? How did he do that? God painted us a picture of heaven. When God wanted us to have heaven as our home, God painted us a picture of it. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, crystal river, tree of life. What was God? God was etching that image in our mind to let us know that heaven is our home. And we have that mental image in our mind right now. He said, I've go to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. How many of you know you have a mansion in heaven right now? Come on, somebody. <laughs> you have a mansion in heaven right now. And what's God doing? God's giving you an image. God's giving you a picture of what your future looks like. Well, he does the same here on earth. God says, this is what I believe for you. This is the purpose that I have for your life. This is the destiny that I have. And God will give you that picture. And there, like I said at the beginning, you may not be able to share that picture with everybody, but somebody you can share that picture with and say, this is what I'm believing God for. This is where I'm going to be in five years. This is what's going to happen in my life. And you hold on to that promise and watch and see what God will do in your life. It's called a vision. It's an image. It's a picture of your preferred future. I showed you a picture of our small beginnings. Now let me show you a picture huh, of where we're going. Come on, somebody. Now what if, now what if we wouldn't have been willing to start small? What if we weren't willing to start in a living room? What if we weren't willing to shove or to shrug off discouragement and keep believing and keep plowing? Because I don't even believe that's the end of it. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you don't go settle I don't even believe that's the end of it. That's just another phase of it. Oh, Jesus, help me. That's just another phase of it. And Lord willing, we'll get to that next phase and that third phase and that fifth phase, whatever, whatever, because there's still things I've got in my, I have in my spirit that I've not even shared with you yet. Oh, Jesus. 
Jamie's saying, will you please slow down when Jesus comes? We got work to do. Come on, somebody. We got, there's work to do. And so you have to have a finish line in mind. You have to say, this is where we're going. And I don't know how we're going to get there. The how's not my problem. That's God's problem. And it's not a problem for God. Let him figure that out. I just need to obey. I need to do what he's telling me to do. And let him work out the How can this be? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He's going to enable you to do things that you could not do in your natural ability and your natural power. So you have to have a preferred future. The Bible says without a vision we perish. The literal translation means we run without restraints and we wander aimlessly without any direction or any destiny in mind. But it also means that people with a vision will flourish. They'll have direction. They'll have a destiny for their life. And this is what God wants for us. In 1982, Disney had just finished work on the Epcot Center. And Walt Disney had recently just passed away. And the Disney executives had asked his wife, Walt Disney's wife, to be part of the ribbon-cutting ceremony. And when the MC called her up to say a few words, he leaned over and he said, you know, he said, I wish that Walt could have been here to see this. And she smiled, and she looked at him and responded by saying, he did. He did. He already... He's already been here. That's why it's here today. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He already saw it. He envisioned it. It was, it was a seed that was planted in his spirit. It was a seed that was developed in his mind, a concept that was developed in his mind that he began to share with other people. And so you will see it before anyone else gets to experience it. But you'll also be able to be a part of it. Amen? Can I give you a couple more and I'll close? Yeah. Number three, write it down. Write it down. Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3 says this. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain. Put it on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Remember last week I talked about a difference between being anointed for something and the appointment of that anointing operating in your life. It's an appointed time. God has an appointed time for your dream. Listen to what it says. But in the end, it will speak. It's going to come to pass. And it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Don't get impatient. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because it will come. Come on, somebody. Yeah. It surely will come to pass. It will not tarry. So get you an image of what you're believing your dream is, and then you need to write it down. You need to write that vision statement out. Because there will be times you'll need to get it out and you'll need to look at it. And you'll need to encourage yourself. And there'll be times you'll need to take that vision and that, that, that vision that God has given you and share it with some other people and they'll say, yeah, I can partner with you in that. I, I believe. I believe in that vision. I believe in that dream. 
And I want to be part of that dream, and I want to be part of that vision. So, so when you start sharing your dream, you'll find people who will connect with your dream. And when you share that dream with them, with them, they'll run with it. In other words, they will help you carry it out. They will help you bring it to fruition. Why? Because it's bigger than you. And it requires a team in order for it to come to pass. Amen? Amen. Here's the final thought, and that is this. And I can ask if the uh, praise team will come and just everyone else just, just stay seated. We'll be all right. Just get the praise team here. Here's the final thought. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. Proverbs 24, 16 says this. For though the righteous man fall, or though the righteous fall seven times. Almost seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Righteous fall. They rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamities strike. Righteousness is not determined by whether or not you fail or you fall, but righteousness is determined by when after you fall, you get back up and you try again. That's righteousness. That's what God calls it. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Steve Wynn? Anybody ever? A couple of you, Steve Wynn? Steve Wynn is an American real estate tycoon. He's also a collector of art. He's a billionaire. He lives in Nevada, has casinos and buildings everywhere. And in 2001, Steve Wynn bought a painting for $50 million. $50 million. The painting is called the Le Reve, which in French means the dream. It was painted in 1932 by Picasso. And the reason that he was willing to pay $50 million for this dream painting was because he said it reminded him of his life. He said it reminded him of his beginning. He said, he said because I came from a very impoverished, poor family. He said, we had nothing. He said, all I had was a dream. He said, I didn't have money. I didn't have resources. He said, I didn't know anyone. He said, but I had a dream. And he said, so this painting reminds me of where I started and what has happened in my life. It's the dream. And so he would display it in his hotel lobbies and in his casinos and people were able to come and view this $50 million painting. About five years later, an investor from New York called him, a man by the name of Cohen. All this you can go find out for yourself. Every bit of it's true. He called him and offered him $139 million for the dream. $139 million. And so he agreed to sell the dream. But in the process of exchanging, he wanted to have one more party. And he invited all of his friends, the wealthiest of the wealthiest, the famous celebrities from around the world, and they all came to this party. And he had the dream on an easel. And he was explaining what the uh, painting meant, things that I just shared with you. 
He had some, he has trouble with his eyesight. It's hard for him to gauge distance. His equilibrium is off. And so as he's talking and as he's explaining the dream, he stumbles. And when he stumbles, he goes to catch himself. And when he goes to catch himself, his hand goes right through the 50 million, $139 million painting that he had sold. Rips it, tears it. Everyone there is just a hush comes over and everybody's just astonished. So he calls the guy back up. He calls Cohen up and he says, look, something tragic has happened. Something terrible has happened. He said, I don't know. I can't hardly explain it. He said, but I have destroyed the dream. And he said, um, I'm going to, I'll give you your $139 million. It was actually his painting at that time. He said, I'll give you your $139 million. He said, if that's okay, I want to keep it. And he said, well, yeah, you can keep it. I don't want it. What am I going to do with it? And so he began to research because he loved the painting. He began to research. And he found a gentleman in Europe who was known as a paint surgeon, a restorer of paintings. And he flew him in and he looked at the painting and he said, he said, I can fix it. He said, I can fix it. He said, it's going to take some time. He said, but I can fix it. He said, when I fix it, he said, no one will ever know anything happened to it. From the front, when you look at it, you'll not be able to tell anything was ever wrong with this painting. So he took the painting. Sure enough, a year later, called him up. He said, it's ready. Flew him back to the States. And they had people there, art collectors, experts there. And they began to look at the painting. And they said, you know, if you would not have told us, we would have never been able to tell this painting has been restored. There was ever anything wrong with it. He said, the only way you'll be able to tell anything was ever wrong with this painting, if you go around back and you look at it from the back part of the painting. Other than that, you'll never know anything was wrong with it. And I thought about that. Isn't that like God? When God begins to restore our life and God begins to redeem our life, that when you look from the front, everything looks good. Come on, somebody. Everything looks like it's in order. Everything looks like it's fine. Everything's in place. But if you could see the past, if you could see the failures, you could see the fallings, you could see the tears and the scars and the rips. You could see what's in my past, what's in your past. You, don't, you think that painting's worth nothing. But God takes our lives, our failures, our setbacks, and God says, I can fix that. I can fix that, and I can fix that to where if anybody looks at it, they'd never know. Sometimes we look at people and we're like, wow, look at that person. Look what, they look what they're doing. But we don't know what's behind them. We don't know what they've gone through. We don't know what they've experienced. We don't know their past. And sometimes God wants to keep it that way. Not everybody needs to know what's behind us, right? But what you need to understand is failure is not final. 
that the dream is still there. It can be restored. God is a restoring God. God is a redeeming God. And I just want someone to know today, you don't have to quit and give up on your dream. And it may be delayed, but it's not denied. I said it may be delayed, but it's not denied. I just want you to keep dreaming. I want you to keep believing. I want you to keep trusting God. And if God said this is what you could do, if God said this is where you would be, if God says this is what you could have, then you hold on to that no matter what else is going on in your life. Because I'm telling you, someday, someday, if you're willing to start small, if you're willing to see the the finish line from the starting line, if you're willing to keep it in front of you, and if you're willing to know that failure is not final, it will come to pass. I want you to stand with me this morning. So Cohen calls Wynn up a year later. He said, I heard the picture's been restored. He said, I heard that you couldn't even tell anything that had ever happened to it. He said, I want the painting. Are you willing to sell it? He said, I'm willing to give you $155 million for the painting if you're willing to sell it. How many of you know your value doesn't decrease when God restores you? Come on, someone. Your value does not decrease in the restoration process of God. It only increases. You're worth more than you realize. You're worth more than you realize because of God's unfailing love that he has for each and every one of us. Amen. Come on. This is, I don't know where the picture went, but that's just another phase of what God has for us at LifePoint Church. You believe that today? So, Father, we thank you and we praise you. I speak to every dreamer in this house.